Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is a very good friend of mine, Cecilina Gracie. And yes, she is of the Gracie tribe. She teaches young girls the posture of the champion. But really, this is for all of us. And how, for example, just speaking up or using your voice or knowing how to, the first time you feel uncomfortable about anything, how you can then later avoid so many other things later. But the gift of having a skill like jujitsu, the gentle art, really creates a confidence that you can have that space to decide. Like, so for example, if you're in a conflict, the space to either say clearly what you're feeling and then also the space to de-escalate, remove yourself, avoid a situation. I think a lot of times people think, oh, tough or having these skills makes you that you're, you can fight all the time. It's, it's really the opposite. It's so that you can avoid these situations or if you have to get into it, that you have some skills to navigate it. And Cess is, is a really great contrast of somebody who is strong and assertive, but so kind, loving, and gentle. I just thought it was important to have these conversations because I'm personally looking for more self-mastery. And one of the things that she said, I think that was one of my favorite, and we were talking about Hoist actually, was how do you not let that person in the parking lot that's aggressing you or tweaking you that you could engage with, how do you not let them impact your internal self that whatever pattern and weather pattern you have inside of you is never impacted by these people. I think we're all looking for a little bit more of that mastery and even how to teach kids how to deal with bullies and giving them those tools to de-escalate, defuse that they can use their whole lives. Enjoy. All right, Cecilina, Gracie, I always laugh that no matter what, even if the mother is a Gracie, the children are Gracies. How we take on the last name? Yes. (laughs) Let's start there. Let's talk about how being born into this family, um, which is a great thing, but also there's a lot of layers and dynamics. And and I don't mean the individual people. I just mean sort of the, you know, philosophy that's passed down. Um, It's something that's a flag that's meant to be held seriously. Absolutely. Being born in the Gracie family, at least I can tell from my experience, we are born learning from the people that came before you. So you're already continuing a legacy without you choosing or even knowing exactly what is happening because Mm -hmm. it's a play. Literally before we have diapers, we're crawling on the mats. Everyone have mats at home. So you're living that history as you're developing into your own person, as you're developing your own identity. Mm -hmm. And that process is very supported and we feel that we are special. So it's not a question of, you mean Did like I, it's an honored position? 
I felt very honored yeah. and I've always appreciated a lot of the time that was being spent with me because it's not only the physical skills, but the environment that we grow up in and the philosophy and the principles that we learn as human beings really set a strong foundation for whatever we want to do in life later on. Mm -hmm. It's our choice. It's not mandatory that you're going to do jujitsu, but you are representing the family by being born into it and by being raised under those principles and values. And for most people, I mean, I think 99% of the family lives through jujitsu. And because we are continuing that legacy, then we are carrying on the name. And regardless of the mother or the father, right. most people use the Gracie. Because maybe name. the name, it's what it represents. You know, it's like the word love. Like we know what love means. Like maybe the idea of Gracie is sort of bigger than, okay, it's a family name. It's a philosophy. It's a way we're going to conduct ourselves. It's interesting. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. I recently had a woman who, uh, a Korean woman and sort of the responsibility, right? Like I didn't grow up like that at all, nothing. And it's very interesting when you see families where either it's cultural or in your case, it's it's sort of been established by the family that there's kind of a way that you conduct yourself. And what I, and I know a lot of other members of your family. So the other interesting thing is maybe if somebody colors outside the lines that they will hear from cousins too, right? <laughs> like the yeah. cousins will call or say like, what are you doing or why are you doing that? So you didn't take that really as a pressure, just as a, as a gift. Is that right? I think that my journey in jiu-jitsu has shifted throughout the years. When I was really young, I was sort of forced to compete by my father, who wasn't the Gracie one, which is interesting because he was very into jiu-jitsu, and that was the common grounds where he met my mom. Mm -hmm. And for him, it was really important that I was carrying that on as an athlete, perhaps Maybe I was supposed to be a boy and I was a girl, but it didn't matter. The philosophy and the way that I was raised was the same. So I didn't really have a choice growing up. And I resented that for a little bit because as soon as I had an opportunity to get out of competitions, I did. I had a bad accident in a competition. I broke my coccyx, the last bone of your spine. And then it was just one trauma after the other, like physically. So in a way, I transitioned from being an athlete and I never really carry that on. And when you talk about responsibility, I always felt somewhere the responsibility of continuing the legacy of my family. Somehow I always knew that competing wasn't it. Mm -hmm. And I always felt the competition aspect of jiu-jitsu is beautiful. It was extremely necessary to spread the word and to make the legacy continue and to prove the efficiency of jiu-jitsu over other martial arts as well. But I always felt that there were enough people doing that. Right. And in my mind, I was always trying to find my purpose, my reason behind it. Mm -hmm. And I moved to London when I was 17 years old. And for some reason, I decided not to put a gi on for four years. And I moved away from jujitsu a little bit. But even though I wasn't practicing at the academy, that's when I started realizing that I was using jujitsu every single day of my life in interactions with people, in setting boundaries. I was so young in a completely different continent, didn't know the culture very well. Mm -hmm. I was starting to realize how protected I was at home because suddenly you're alone and you're going through scenarios that I could have never imagined. Mm -hmm. And then I started having those wake-up calls where I was like, wow, I literally just used the tool from jujitsu that I learned in this situation. And I started questioning, what if I didn't have that? 
my story would be very different. What about all the other women and all the other girls that don't have that, that never had that? So then my relationship with jiu-jitsu started shifting where I started seeing that I didn't have to be a competitor. I didn't have to be totally immersed in the professional aspect of fighting, mm -hmm. but that there was something there. So that was sort of the beginning of the discovery of where I would take jiu-jitsu as my journey continued. And I moved to the U.S. in 2011. And I opened a jiu-jitsu school with my brother. And it was for men, for women, for boys, for girls. And I started working on the methodology with him and working on the classes. And then suddenly I was an entrepreneur in the jiu-jitsu world and learning how to navigate that with people from all walks of life, which is why jiu-jitsu was created in the first place. Right. It was to serve the people that were less privileged physically, that was, weren't as dominant, that didn't need to use their size, that didn't really have anywhere to rely to pull confidence from. And, and then I started seeing, oh, that's where I find myself being more useful and being more in service. Mm -hmm. And then now I work just with women and girls. I have a school of empowerment with the tools from jiu-jitsu and the philosophy of jiu-jitsu, but also with all real life scenarios and situations that remote back to the stories that I went through. Because from my walk of life, I think that was the most important thing. What, from a, from a broad point of view, what are some of the philosophies? Uh, jiu-jitsu is from Japan, correct? And then it was taught to, is it your grandfather? Yes, okay. Carlos Gracie. So just in from that point of view, and we'll get into, because um, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate the message that you give in your teaching of, you know, posture of the champion and such. But in, in sort of that, in jujitsu, what do you think that they were hoping that all the students would receive? What are, what are some of the fundamental beliefs in jujitsu that are important, whether you're a beginner, a white belt, or you're, you know, a... A black belt in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So jiu-jitsu in Japanese means gentle art. And it is the art of kindness, of being gentle, of using leverage. It's not an art that we come in, nothing wrong with boxing or Muay Thai, but the goal is not to disfigure someone's face. It's not to break your nose, to knock you out. The goal is for me to capitalize on your movement. So you could even call it almost a dance where I'm using your force towards me to reverse the situation and to use that in my favor. And a lot of the principles that apply in life, they come from jujitsu as well, that I apply in my life at mm -hmm. least. This being one, for example, use the energy that is coming towards you to redirect it and use it in your advantage. Mm -hmm. How can you control the distance with someone? So you're constantly navigating in a space that is comfortable for you. We need that so much in our workplace. And let's say we're in, in an interview or you're with your peers and you keep becoming interrupted, like they keep interrupting you. This is jujitsu. When you look at somebody in the eye, you take your posture of the champion, as you just mentioned, mm -hmm. and you say, excuse me, when you interrupt me, you make me feel disrespected. I would like you to let me finish my thought. That for me is jujitsu. It's for you to navigate life in a way that you are feeling respected. And at the same time, you're setting up boundaries that prevent your relationships from escalating to a situation that you didn't want to face later on that allows you to have courage to maybe move to another country, to get in a relationship with somebody that you otherwise wouldn't know how to approach them. And through worse scenarios, obviously, but the philosophy of you being confident in your own self and knowing that the tools that you need mm -hmm. are with you anywhere you go. I think this is, this theme has shown up 
another time this month for me, um, I, I would interview somebody who wrote a book called Born to Run and Christopher McDougall. And he wrote a book also called Natural Born Heroes. And what their belief was in the island of Crete, and these were like goat herders, was this idea of train in a way so you're ready for anything. You're capable. You can pull yourself up. You can lunge. You can squat. You can hit something. You can throw something and hit something. And the sort of being capable can make you, I don't want to say more peaceful or more loving, but it seems to be a result. There, you know, it feels like aggression and all of these things come from real fear. And so what I really appreciate about this idea is, hey, train for everything. You have some, you train for jujitsu, you know some moves, you know counter moves, and then you, no matter where you are, you, you have them, but don't you find it that, for example, let's use Hoist. Let's use your cousin as an example, because we see Hoist often. Hoist has such a relaxed energy, and I know energy, people go energy, but everything is energy. Then you start to wonder, well, maybe if people train in jiu-jitsu, then they're so relaxed that they get to avoid all kinds of hassle in their life because they have this vibration that's like, it's, it's good. They're not actually either calling in the negative energy or they're repelling people being like, you know what, for whatever reason, I don't think I want to mess with this person. So maybe we could talk about how the importance of the training, you know, learning those things and also even, you know, kind of share maybe how difficult it is, how that is really the empowerment. It's not learning how to choke someone out. It's the fact that, you know, if you kind of had to, to subdue or, or kind of calm down the situation, that that actually is the skill. Yeah. Literally, we always say we learn how to fight so we never have to. Right. And talking about the philosophy of jiu-jitsu that is coupled with that principle is I grew up with a motor in my house, with a motor in my house from my grandfather being before becoming a great fighter, you must become a great human. And once you're confident in who you are and that you're not relying on other people to protect you or to prevent something from happening, then suddenly you start avoiding those situations. And that's a part of the skill. So Hoyce is very relaxed because he has nothing to worry about. There is no situation that he would feel threatened as a result of a fear, what you just said. And we see that with kids. Like most kids, when they start learning how to move and start learning the principles of jujitsu, the parents sometimes, before they know what jujitsu is, they think, oh, but my kid is going to learn how to fight. They're going to become more aggressive. Mm -hmm. And it's the opposite. It's the kids that are aggressive that have no tools. And the more you start realizing, oh, I can actually hurt that person, I really don't want to. And you start avoiding that. And a part of that also is you start developing a lot of awareness. And that awareness allows you to see something a mile away. And then you are the one who are steps ahead even if it's in a relationship, you can already see that that person is sort of escalating a little bit Mm -hmm. and you become more sensitive because it takes a lot of courage for you to tune in with yourself and see, okay, how am I feeling in this scenario? You know what? I don't feel good. And that isn't going to impact your decision-making abilities. So that's why the the line between life and jujitsu is very thin because you're going to pull from those skills to understand how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And then that's going to inform your decision moving on from there. Right. And when you have people that are confident, you have a more peaceful society. Because I don't need to invade your space to prove something to you. You wonder about this in life so often where when someone is unsure and untrained, 
they get into all kinds of hassles and they actually run towards them. Either they invite them over, you know, Laird always jokes. He's like, if I'm looking really for looking for a fight, I just have to walk outside my door. And then you get people who go through this process of mastery, whatever it is. It could be the mastery of the English language. I don't care. Someone who really learns how to communicate or write, or in this case, the art of jujitsu. What is it do you think that people get or possess through this mastery process that then allows them to go, oh yeah, I don't need to get into a hassle. Not only do I not want to, Mm -hmm. I don't need to. I'll do an experiment with you real quick then that I do in the beginning of my first class, my intro class for my students is... Everyone comes in and usually they're intimidated, especially women. Like, what is this space? What am I going to learn? Am I going to get beat up here? Like, what's going to happen? And the first thing I see is their body language. So I open the class and I ask them to just grab an invisible line, wrap around their heart, make sure it's real tight, and then just pull it to the sky. And suddenly their heart is open, their shoulders are back without even realizing their chin is up and then they engage with me. And that's when I make a connection where now they're present in their body and they're leading with their heart. Mm. I feel that the people that get in fights, if you see there is, it's almost a protection of their own heart, which is a similar thing to people that are shy. It is somehow a, a protection layer that they put on. And it's the same with animals. When you feel threatened, you attack first. So the person that is attacking first, that is speaking on fights, somehow they're threatened by their environment or they don't feel like they're good enough. They didn't grow up with a family that showed them their value or they gave them any guidance. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different reasons and we are all complex human beings. So you are trying to discover yourself. You're trying to get attention. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's an attempt to connect with another human being, but it's you're connecting the wrong way. And nobody gave you tools to connect the right way. And when you open your heart and you lead life with that, it immediately changes how you feel. And when you change how you feel, then you start realizing, oh, actually, my energy, my presence is also contagious. So maybe I'm the one causing those things to happen Mm -hmm. because I'm setting that precedent. Whereas if I change my my posture and if I change the way that I approach that person, and I love that you always say, be first— Mm-hmm. And it's the same. So let me be first to be kind. Let me be the first to apologize. And if I see that somehow you're not in the emotional space to be the first, even if I feel you're in the wrong and you should do that, mm-hmm. I don't mind leading. Because just the fact that I'm taking that chance and I'm showing you what it means to be a champion, to be a warrior, or to be a loving human being, mm-hmm. because I'm confident that if I lead, you're going to take that on. And it's very rare that someone will say, you know what, I'm going to continue this. It is amazing how kindness, I've seen it so many times where it really diffuses and and even someone that like, they're really bugging you. You know, you don't even at that moment really like them, but you think, you know what, I'm going to put the olive branch out. I'm going to put my ego away. It is amazing how I would say the majority of the time, the other person will go, well, what I meant, or I was thinking you were saying this. And, and I, it's so hard for us to reach out one more time or first, um, but it, it seems to be the thing that um, you can just avoid so many hassles. I think the hard thing too about being the aggressor all the time is that then you're torching everything. So then not only have you created a hassle, now you've got to come back and clean everything up or kind of keep moving because you're just burning everything behind you. And I think that that is a really hard thing for people to take on. Uh, through time. So 
let's talk, I'd love to talk about men and women. And I know you work with girls and women at this point, but I still would love to know. So let's say somebody goes, okay, I'm listening to this. And I like the idea of not being hit, you know, I mean, subdued. And by the way, jujitsu is physical. Don't get me wrong. I've, I mean, you know, I've watched it. I've seen it. Reese did, did it. Um, it's, it's hard and physical, but you're not going to get, you know, sm- kicked in the shin or punched in the face. You might get held for quite a bit. The thing I love about jujitsu too is you'll see like an eight-year-old kid and they're in a bad spot and you can see him thinking, what, would, what should I do here? So to be in the moment and to have the space to figure out a strategy about the way to move next for a young person or for anyone, I think is is really, really valuable. So let's say someone goes in for the first time. What just sort of what can they expect to occur. That's interesting because jiu-jitsu has grown so much that now each gym has a different approach. Mm-hmm. The way that jiu-jitsu was passed on and embraced by my family in the beginning from the source and what a lot of people don't know nowadays that practice jiu-jitsu is that jiu-jitsu is based on five pillars. Mm-hmm. And the first one is philosophy. Then we have self-defense. We do have traumatic strikes, which are often used as a, a tool for distraction especially if you're dealing with a woman or the weaker opponent against a bigger person. Then mm-hmm. we have the takedowns mm-hmm. and then we have ground control, submissions and et cetera. So you have the full arc of life because a fight or an argument, if someone rear ends you and gets out of their car, you're not going to lay down on the street and, and say, wait, my skills start here. Right. Right. We got to so, get on the ground. Start. Well, break, take me through each one when you say philosophy. So philosophy is the principle. So mm-hmm. if you think about how you connect the mind and the body through jujitsu, because it is human chess, it is a strategic game mm-hmm. almost. And that's a lot of people will say that's why jujitsu is so addicting, because it's almost like you flip that switch where now you start understanding that the tools that you learn, they all interconnect and you have to use them according to what your opponent is doing. So the philosophical part of jiu-jitsu is you're caught in a really bad position, mm-hmm. let's say. So you have the physical, which is the actual physical skill. Then you have the mental, your strategy on how am I going to get out? I'm connected, so I need to use strategy to get out of here. Should I capitalize on their movement? Should I wait? And then you have the spiritual where you're in a really bad place. And do you want to quit and tap out or can you go a little bit longer? Mm-hmm. Can you trust the technique? Can you rely on your breath to calm yourself down, control your adrenaline and know that you actually, you have time? And that is when you start developing the philosophical and the spiritual aspect of jujitsu, where it's all in your mind. Do you have the will to continue? Mm-hmm. And I feel that those are the ones that you take with you no matter where you go, because there comes, there comes some times in life where you're like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore, Mm. but you don't want to do this anymore because you don't love it or because you're scared because you, you feel like you're going to be judged or you feel like you're not good enough. So those check-ins that you do with yourself, a lot of times you go back to the mats the next day and you have an opportunity to readjust Mm -hmm. because you're not going to win all the time. And jujitsu is extremely humbling because of that. And because somebody a lot smaller than you can really hold you down and and make you tap 10 times in less than one minute. And then you got to go back home and think, wow, it is a skill and it takes practice and the persistence and all the things that require you to keep coming and keep showing up. They're they're all part of your spiritual growth Mm -hmm. in the sport. And because it's an individual sport, but you belong to a team, that also brings a sense of 
responsibility for being there. When you say team, like you guys, it's a family and then you have your school or such, right? Correct. Yeah. So the second pillar. So the second pillar being self-defense, right? which involves all of the distance management, the awareness, which is your first line of defense. How do you know if someone is good or bad intentioned? Do you engage with them first? Do you use your verbal defense? So that involves all of the self-defense aspects of jiu-jitsu and the self-defense moves and joint locks and all of the things standing up. And then you have traumatic strikes, which sometimes you have to use to distract an opponent so you can get out of like, a situation. What does that look like? That is also a jab. Yeah. You use elbows, you use push kicks for you to establish the distance and then decide to go for a takedown if you want or realize if you have enough space to get out and... Are you going to knock somebody out with the push kick? Like if you look at Hoyce, mm -hmm. he used this push kick a lot in the first UFC. Well, he had all those huge guys too, like weighed twice as much. Yeah. And those were part of the traumatic strikes that he used. He's known for using the push kick on the knee, always keeping the distance. So he would decide when he was engaged. Because in jiu-jitsu, we learned that whoever controls the distance controls the damage. Mm. So as long as I'm in control of this distance and I'm aware of what could happen here, then I'm okay. But if you're in control of the distance and I'm the one who is in your zone, then it's a problem. So Hoist used traumatic strikes a lot to establish the distance to his favor. What if you're in real life? Let's say Hoist is in a real conflict in real life and somebody, they don't know it's Hoist. And they go, hey, move your car and you're in my way. And they're coming for Hoist and it's a big guy. And maybe they're out of their minds. They're red hot. Is Hoist going to try to keep the distance and get away if he has the opportunity? Or is he going to keep the distance and figure out how to put this person to sleep? We would have to ask Hoist what he would do nowadays because when you talk <laughs> about the mastery, <laughs> I feel like he's pretty zen. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, is, yeah. it, is the ultimate message though, like if there's an opportunity to avoid or get away, if someone else is in danger, so you're not there to also protect someone else, would the maybe the first choice be like I'm going to subdue this person and just try to get out of, get out Always. of this because no matter what every fight both sides leave damaged yeah and even if it's not physically which most of the time is you throw an actual punch at someone yeah you might break your hand the odds are very high yeah fighters in the UFC break their hands and they're wearing gloves imagine if you're not and even if you don't leave damage physically emotionally you're damaged yeah there is there is an effect on the person on the other side and. Is it your choice? If the guy say, move your car, then suddenly you allow this person to pull you into their world, which mm -hmm. is miserable at that point. Are you going to allow that? That is the spiritual and the philosophical side of jujitsu where you go, yes, we always avoid conflict if we can. And it's not to prove you. I don't need to take you down and to prove this stranger that I'm better than you. I can prove to myself that I'm getting stronger and stronger internally where you have no power in shifting how I feel inside. And you have no power in dictating my action. Because if I'm walking on the street, I'm not going to choose to go out and take this guy down and, and do all of those things. So my choice is to continue my life basically Probably Hoist would want to go back home to Kariana and his daughters and his yeah. dogs. And I don't think he wants to go back home and say, look, I just took this guy yeah. down. I got to go to urgent care. Car. Yeah. And now we have a legal thing and, and whatever else. This podcast is brought to you by Ritual. I've personally been taking Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin since right when COVID hit. I was looking for something supportive and powerful. Someone suggested it to me and lo and behold... 
I got, I did some research. And what I love about them is, so women were kept out of research until 1993 by federal law. And Ritual really knows how important women are. Obviously, if you're going to be selling them vitamins, they're essential. And they conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their essential for eight women 18 plus multivitamin to really assess its efficacy. So right there, I was intrigued and even more intrigued by the results. It increased vitamin D, which is what I was looking for, by levels up to 43% and omega-3 DHA, so important, levels by 41%. And that was just in 12 weeks. So they take the time and energy to figure out, hey, you know, does this work? And is it going to be good for these women? And not to mention that what they do is so smart. They they kind of hone in on nine key nutrients and they put it in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. So if you're going to spend the time and energy to really, you know, navigate taking supplements, everything is bioavailable. Your body can absorb it. It don't know what to do. And it's really gentle on your on your stomach. So you don't have to worry about like, oh, I have an empty stomach or after food or before food. They just take away all of those pressure points and make it as easy as possible and give you comfort in knowing also that Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free. They're a certified B Corp and all of their ingredients are made traceable. Don't get me started on the nice little finished touch of the minty kind of aftertaste that they put in it. I mean, they've really thought about everything. So if, you've, if you're interested, if you're in need, no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. You will get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash Gabby. If you want to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today, that's Ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash Gabby to get 25% off your first month. So tell me, let's, let's go to the other pillars. Cause I think like you said, it, it is so relevant to life. And, and, um, you know, I used to try to tell Reese and Brody, like you have to live by the code that you set up and, and not adjust because of the other person. I even believe that tr- so strongly in a marriage, let's say Laird is whatever frustrated about there's been no surf for four months and, uh, you know, four months going to be a lot. Yeah, a lot of well, it happens. <laughs> Believe me, I'm I've been here. I've seen it. We're in September. We're about there. Let me just tell you, it's been a long summer. Is <laughs> you and you see this person and you you go, I don't. I'm not going to change who I am because you're you're being frustrated. And you know, obviously, there's a line. I'm not saying there's not a line, but the point is, is it's that reminder, that beautiful reminder. And I love the fact that you could actually go to a place and sort of practice this reminder, connecting the, the body and the mind, which is, I'm not going to adjust because of you. Who am I trying to be? Okay, I'm trying to be a decent person. Oh, you're my loved one. You're my partner. I love you. So I'm not going to adjust because you're acting sideways. And it is so powerful because what ends up usually happening, and I, I, I would challenge anyone to try this in their life with a friend, even your kids, is when you just hold your line and stay steady. And if you're trying to be positive, let's say, I know it's an overused word, people will come back up. They'll wind down. They'll they'll adjust to you. But the minute you you dive in and you go, you're not being very nice and you shouldn't act like that or whatever, you're in. 
you're in the game. You're out of your, you're off your axis, right? And so I, it's a really fun experiment. I've been doing a lot with Brody. She doesn't listen to this. I can talk about it. She is not so. She's 13. She's seriously like, you know, like you go in and you open the door and you're like, morning, like it's for school. I even talk quiet, you know, and she'll be like, okay. And with Laird, she'll do it more than me. Get out. Like you're not in the room. You're just sort of like, good morning, waking them up. And even instead of shifting the energy, you just go, okay. And it's amazing. They'll come around. They'll even say, hey, sorry if I was tough or whatever. So I think that what you're saying, even though it's so simple, it is something to work on forever. Every day. Every moment. Every moment. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I am not going to allow this person to get me outside of myself. And it is so hard to do. Because they're on their journey too. So if you look at her lens, she's trying to establish her boundaries as a 13-year-old to say, get out of my room. This is the only space I have. Perhaps her communication is not the greatest and she's going to be developing that as she goes. But from her lens, she's kind of doing her job. And then for somebody else, they can feel affected by it. So then which is which and how do you communicate moving forward because you're going to have to see them at dinner and you're going to have to see them tomorrow and those are the hardest and for me those are the most important ways for us to develop as human beings and I know I keep going back to jujitsu but it is where I use the tools all the time is the same I live with my brother and it's like how do you communicate assertively being the younger sister so then there is the whole hierarchy play in the family but knowing okay I'm not going to escalate a situation and get in a fight with him anymore, but how can I use those tools mm-hmm. and understand like, look, this is as far as you can go. And this is where the relationship is at the moment. And a lot of times he does that as well. So we live, I feel like life is almost a game of setting boundaries with each other, with our relationships and with kids, they're testing our boundaries and vice versa, like in friendships. And I don't know if you're comfortable about talking why Brody started training uh, jiu-jitsu with me. Yeah. If she doesn't listen to She this. doesn't listen. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the one justices I get. I can talk all about Brody and uh, she doesn't know. It's fantastic. But it's, it's the scenarios that they're going through. They're going through so much where with their friendships and how do I set boundaries here and who's the leader and who's the mean girl and who's the one that pleases everyone and who is the nice. So there's so much going on in those mm. phases. And, and then you get home and suddenly maybe you were the leader in your group, but then at home you're not the leader because your mom is the leader. So yeah. then there's a little bit of pushback. Mm-hmm. And how can you navigate those different scenarios in life where you're different people in different groups, mm. in different moments, if you never... I mean, she's lucky that she's being raised by you and she has a really strong foundation. Imagine if you don't. Yes, I don't know how lucky Brody is, but we're gonna, we'll find out in like maybe 15 years. But I, uh, I did have something happen and I want to go back to the pillars. Is um, You know, I went in her room and I was doing something to help her. I said, oh, do you need, she needed something or I was going to help her. And she, her reaction was like ridiculous, right? And The other part of this, though, about setting boundaries, though, is also, like you said, about really communicating. So I was like, okay, so you're 13. Is this how you're going to communicate? Is there not a better way you can communicate to get exactly what you want? And then I walked out because it wasn't about, you know, getting her to get it then. But it's still also, like you said, I have to see her. We're going to be in the car together in 20 minutes. So I don't want to have this thing building because that's the other thing is like sometimes being, having self-restraint, controlling yourself 
you can get a buildup. And so how do you find the ways to not let other people impact your interior mood, however, always still speaking your truth and being like as honest as you can with people, but not from a place of a reaction. And that for me is also one of the other things, like I'm always trying to figure out how to do that, especially with the people close to me. Somebody jerk in a in a parking lot that takes my space and then flicks me off or whatever, I can probably get away from that. It's actually exercising it also in your work relationships and your intimate, your personal, really personal relationships. It's interesting because the more I do this work, the more I realize that verbal assertiveness is the most necessary and the most important skill to acquire and the hardest one to develop for a few different reasons. One, people don't practice that. And I started that on my first class, we do verbal assertiveness drills. Because the scenarios that you move on to life for kids in school, suffering bullying, calling each other's names, as you move on to college, somebody messing with you and you don't say anything, and then you move on to your workplace and you get interrupted in a meeting, or you listen to things and you're like, oh, I'm just going to let this one slide by. And then you get into situations like Womo, where now suddenly it's a physical sexual assault. All kinds of assault and harassment, the majority of them, start verbally. People cross their boundaries verbally with you. And especially women have a really hard time mm -hmm. speaking up in an assertive manner. So what happens? We hold that in, as you said, starts building up. Suddenly that job that you worked for 10 years, you can't take it anymore. And you explode it and you yeah. go, I quit. Yeah, and they and go, then you, she's crazy. She's crazy. <laughs> and then you leave that whole life that you build behind. Yeah. And all that effort because you didn't know way back in the day, five years ago, how to position yourself mm -hmm. assertively. It's the same with kids. Suddenly someone is making fun of you. You don't know how to cut that in a way that you're going to preserve that friendship, but you're going to show, hey, this is not okay. This is as far as you can go. Yeah. And then you hold that in. And then suddenly that friendship doesn't exist anymore and you get physical or whatever happens because it escalates. And when I start doing the drills in class where we practice, I have this thing that is a three-step verbal defense where you state the behavior, you state how it makes you feel, and you state the desired outcome. So you're in a meeting, you're being interrupted. Listen, when you interrupt me all the time, you make me feel disrespected. I would like you to let me finish my thoughts. And you can say that with a smile and in any scenario. So... If you start that at a young age, if girls learn to communicate when they're three, how to say, I don't like this game. Don't touch me. Don't call me that. <clears throat> and for positive things too. So the posture of the champion is the same, is looking at people in the eye and saying, thank you. Your mom made you breakfast. Acknowledge her. Mm -hmm. Show her that you appreciate what she did. But that takes practice. So when you get a teenager and you throw her in the world and then you're expecting her to know how to communicate assertively when she never practiced that. She never did exercise and drills with different people. She was never taught how to behave in different scenarios. And then suddenly you're in life and you have elements that you have to master. You have adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Then you have other people around. Now you're self-conscious. So if you can create a space for girls, for women to go in and practice that where it's safe and you're not dealing with the adrenaline, but you're emulating scenarios that they're going to face, suddenly they're not being caught by surprise. Well, so they're not as reactive. Right. It's a skill. Like they've got something in their pocket that they can go, oh yeah, you know what? I remember that I can use my words or I can stand up or I can uh, express this. I think that's a really interesting point because when we're in the heat of the moment, unless you have a specific go-to, it's really challenging to know what to do. Okay. Finish the the pillars for me, 
I think we're on the, are we on the third pillar? Yeah, so the traumatic strikes are the third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like and those. Then, I wish I knew them. <laughs> then you have the takedowns, uh-huh. which is an effective way to use leverage to take your opponent down. So then, because what happens when you're standing up, the strength and the weights are uneven. So mm-hmm. if I am going against Mike Tyson, right. I'm not really going to have a chance. Am I going to try to knock him out? It's not going to happen. When our bodies are on the floor and we're connected then I have a choice of using, I have a chance of using leverage and of using jujitsu to maybe have a more positive outcome for myself. Right. So because then I can apply joint locks, I can choke him out, I can do an arm bar and there's a, you can do a triangle. There's so many different submissions. But when you have connection, the difference is now you become one body. So when I'm standing up, it's my weight against yours. Once you connect and go to the ground, then now we became one. So however direction i'm going to use that weight Mm -hmm. if i have more knowledge than you i have a lot more chances of having a good outcome yeah and that's when after the takedown the goal is already if you chose to engage then you're either all in or all out so if you chose to go all in then your goal is to go to the ground and control so i like to tell my students your goal is always to defend yourself first in whatever scenario even if it's a verbal discussion you want to defend yourself so then you can assess if you can escape or if you need to control and submit right. so you can buy yourself time you can you, right it's an assessment tool for a strategy one would be if i have the opportunity to get out of here i will and if not then i know i'm it's game on basically and let me see if i can get this person i would imagine to the ground yeah and there are so many scenarios that i go through with my students that it's literally going through this arc step by step in scenarios that they've been through before. So mm-hmm. I teach a class on the elevator. Where do you position yourself in the elevator? Where is the safest place? Where is the safest place? It's definitely not Where do at you the think? front of the door with your back to everybody. It's definitely not there. I would imagine it's deep in a corner. The problem with the corner, though, is are you trapped in the corner? You're trapped in the corner. So is it where, I mean, the front with your back to everybody, is it front facing everybody? I don't know. What is it? So it's by the buttons. It's sideways by the buttons because you can look out and see who's walking. Maybe this guy that is about to walk Mm. into the elevator is a little weird. You don't want to be trapped in there with him. You have the choice to leave. But if you're in the corner of the elevator, it's going to be really awkward. And you got to walk by them. And you got to go. And what happens is, so this happened with a client of mine. So let's just use real life examples. Okay. I was teaching a class on how how to position yourself in the elevator, and then it escalates. It starts verbally, where do you position yourself? And then we go all the way to if the guy is dragging you out of the elevator, if you fall and they're dragging you from your wrist, if they fall in your room. And I see a client of mine starting to blush. And this happens in every class because it's all scenarios of real life. And I can Mm -hmm. see, oh, maybe they've been through that. So in the end of the class, I was talking to her and she was like, yeah, this just happened with me in Vegas. Oh, at a hotel. I left the elevator. I was with a, a group of friends and then I realized I forgot something in my room and I said, oh, I'm just going to go back and get it. And I turned back by myself and separated myself from the group and went into the elevator. And this guy saw me and he walked right back and entered the elevator. And I felt something was weird, but I was like, okay. And then he got me out of the elevator, followed me, got into my room. And luckily she was able to, mm-hmm. somebody showed up to help her. So she wasn't raped or yeah. sexually assaulted, but that was the goal. And it happens like this when you're distracted, you're happy with your friends. And then suddenly, oh, I forgot something. You're operating in that euphoric yeah. state where you're not in tune and aware. Aware. And this happens all the time. This is my fear, Sess, with the phones. 
honestly. My fear with the phones is that kids, I tell my kids, if I ever see you crossing a street and you're looking at your phone, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to get it. And, and my yeah. kids are bigger, but. Same, like people I, are walking around. Not who walks around a major city. You can go to New York City now, and there are people who walk around, and they are not at all aware of who's around them and what's going on. And you're in these populated places. When would you not be looking? Just knowing spatially, like who's around you. I mean, we you. That's how you function in the world. And what's interesting too is people don't realize when you're looking at your phone and you're hunched forward, you're also um, in fight or flight, right? So now you're not even coming from an emotional standpoint to deal with things correctly. But you know, Gabby, I feel like the phone thing is a consequence of an insecure generation that is growing up with the difficulty of looking at people in the eye. I think that they are linked, but they're not connected. So I talk about this with my students too. And if, you, if you're walking on the street with your phone, just for anyone who's listening, guy or girl, doesn't matter. If you feel like you have to text, just put your back against the wall. The wall. So at least now yeah. you have peripheral vision and you're isolating your back, which yeah, you, you wouldn't see anything. Yeah, you have one less place you can get it. But it is a mechanism of defense. And I see this more and more. I find it really interesting. A lot of times I go meet friends for lunch and I sit at a table at a restaurant. And if I arrive first, mm. I always put my phone down now and I look around and there's not a single person that is alone that is even noticing the spontaneity of life. It's uncomfortable too though, right? It's uncomfortable. To sit by yourself at a table because we've all been there, like you get there first and and it's like, oh, I need something to do. I think though, what you're saying is is to notice, maybe you're in a different environment and it, I, I will be interested to see, but I, I think it's having an interesting impact on people's awareness um, you know, Laird always, his whole thing for this year is pay attention. He's like, nobody's paying attention. Yeah. And I think there's something just about living. We're animals. We live in an unknown place that it's really important um, for people to pay attention. So that's another thing I really appreciate about this training, which I think it makes people, it brings it, you know, front of mind a little more about like, you know what, just pay attention. Just by paying attention, you can avoid so many things in life. And I think just by paying attention, you can also create a lot of positive opportunities. Uh, you know, as simple as someone's exiting, you have an opportunity to open the door for somebody because you you could connect the dots. And it sounds ridiculous, but I think that our lives are made of a string of these events um, that either make it kind of better or not. Absolutely. Um, what if you get in the elevator and people are already in there? you go get out of the way I'm standing by the buttons or, and someone's in there that you have a, like maybe you don't know. And then you kind of pick up and someone's in there. It's kind of weird. Like, is there something for that? So then each scenario is different. If you go into an elevator and the elevator is full, the likelihood that someone is going to sexually assault you or follow you from there with a lot of people around is almost impossible because then someone is going to step up. If you think about the mindset of, a predator or an opportunist, he's looking for an opportunity. Right. So then the goal of this training is for you to start understanding, if, is there an opportunity here? Because hmm. there will always be someone that is in a situation that you're being the victim and you will cross paths with the predator many, li- many times in your life. If you don't give them an opportunity, nothing is ever going to happen. So if you walk into an elevator that is full, can you take this, the opposite side of the door then? I wouldn't want anyone behind my back. I would never stand in the middle of the elevator. If I feel that it's too full, 
go up, I'll wait for the next one. Mm -hmm. So it's also you knowing I can buy myself time. Why do people, people have instincts. And when I say your intuition is your superpower is because your brain is able to process so Mm -hmm. much information before you can actually understand it. And it's not the woo woo. Oh, I feel in my gut. The energy is I already read little mannerisms. If you're smiling like this, or if you're smiling a little bit like this, I already know like, Oh, this is weird. Yeah. And before I understand it, I can pick it up. Your body knows. Yeah. My body knows. Malcolm Gladwell wrote an incredible book where he talked about cards, red cards and black cards. Right. And he said that in the game that the people didn't know the rules, that the black cards were the ones that you didn't want, but it was only set up by the experiment. Okay. And so what would, there was be some kind of outcome based on it. And he said by kind of the, I think it's the 12th or 18th card, people's uh, vital, like their body temperature was started to rise every time they'd see it be handed a black card. And then by like 35 or 38 cards, and I could be getting these numbers wrong, but it's, it's close. They started choosing more of the red cards. And then it was sort of like by the 70th card, you could verbalize what it is that you were seeing. So long before, to your point, by the 12th card, I believe, it was like, you know, I think the book's called Blink. And by like the 12th card, it was like, something's not right here. But we didn't right. even know. It's your subconscious. So I think to your point, and I, and you know, you got to remind people too, like, are you at a place? Is there alcohol? Is it po- heavily populated? Like a Vegas hotel? I mean, give me a break. I mean, stuff's happening. So I think it's important to know that. So take me, we're, we're almost done with the pillars. I think we're done. So after the takedowns mm-hmm. is the floor techniques, the ground techniques, Mm -hmm. which is all leverage based. And we have different scenarios where you're trying to control the person on the ground. Are you on the side control? Are you on the mount? Are you trying to submit the person before submission? Can you negotiate with them? Is there such a thing? Like you have someone who's on and you go, Hey, can you just calm down? I would, I would do that before breaking their arm. (laughs) (laughs) I would give them, you would, I would give them, you'd say, Hey, can you, can you feel it in their body when you're in that kind of situation? If so, Do you think if people are, you know, if someone gets in this, do you think you can feel in their body like, oh no, the minute I let them go, they're going to try again? Or, or do you, you know, how does one know that? Well, the reality is those things, they happen very fast. Yeah. And the scenarios change very fast as well. So for example, uh, one of my students was walking on, on Ocean mm-hmm. Boulevard in Santa Monica and she was distracted on her phone and a guy grabbed her by the wrist and tried to put her inside his car. She tripped and fell and broke her arm. So he freaked out, let her go. She had probably five seconds to get out of the situation. She was lucky in a way that she fell, but then she broke her arm. It's the same if someone is choking you. And how, if you think about how did that situation happen? Okay. You're with a partner. You both went out for a party. He's drunk. You come back. First thing, when you're drunk, you lose the sense, like you lose the understanding of strength. Your pain tolerance is completely shifted. You don't feel as much pain. Like I don't drink clearly, but from what I read is, you know, the reactions that your body gets. And especially for men, you lose the understanding of how strong you are. So you're arguing with with your girlfriend. Maybe you're jealous about something and your girlfriend starts responding, escalating the situation. You're screaming at each other. The first thing that the man does sometimes is... (laughs) 
Yeah. You grab your neck. Stop it's like, that, that stop noise. Stop that noise. Yeah. But he's drunk. He loses sense of time. You have six seconds to get out of there. Yeah. So if you're fighting their arm and you're trying to tell them, are you crazy? And trying to scratch their face, you lost that time and you pass out. Mm. So then look at where the scenario went. Yeah. Whereas if you have technique, it takes you like one and a half seconds to get out of this situation. So... The scenarios change. Do you need to go to the ground and submit that person? Can you negotiate? Yes. Let's say with that student that got pulled into the car. Yeah. If she hasn't tripped and fell, if she had more tools, yeah. let's say she took the guy down, suddenly more people showed up. People are aware of that. Does she need to keep going and break his arm? Yeah. No, she can say now, so you're going to calm down. We're going to call the police. Are you going to stop with this nonsense? Now she has people around and you don't need to go all in. Or if it's with someone close to you, your sibling or something, do you want to break their arm <laughs> or you want to tell them like, are you going to get out of my room now? Are you? <laughs> have you ever done that, Sess? I don't know. You have that look on your eye. Oh my gosh. So you, you have a, girls coming and you have the posture of the champion and sort of these exercises that you run them through, like you talked about scenarios where you first use your voice. Maybe you could just sort of break these down because I think, you know, for parents out there and listen, boys need it too, because it's about the skills to deescalate and to avoid real problems if you can. And boys are equally as bullied and sometimes worse mm -hmm. than girls because girls have a different type of bullying. And it's usually sort of in this unusual period of time, you know, is it fifth grade through eighth grade, mean girls, if you will. But what would you sort of take them through first, even saying like, this is uncomfortable or stop because a female could use that in a work situation or if a stranger approaches her. So maybe we can, we could sort of migrate through some of those. You know, it's so interesting, Gabby, because so many things I've been realizing about my journey doing this work that I do mm -hmm. because the, the longer I work with girls and women, the more I realize how fortunate I was to have these tools and the more I see the difference when you don't. Mm. So as I dive deeper and deeper into this program and I have more and more girls and women coming in, I understand that it's almost like the space that I'm providing for them is a space where they have permission to speak up. And it's almost like no one ever gave them permission to say, don't touch me, to mm -hmm. say, I don't like this. Or for a girl, it's almost like no one gave that girl permission in school to say, I don't like this game. Mm -hmm. You know what? I don't like this game. She thinks that she shouldn't speak up and that she has to take it in. And when you have a space that they have permission to speak up and to engage and to make eye contact and to verbalize what they're feeling, especially if it's a negative feeling, if it's a feeling of discomfort, if it's a feeling of disrespect, mm -hmm. suddenly magic starts happening. And that is a transformation because then they start taking ownership of their lives. And I have goosebumps because I remember my dad always said to me, Cecilina, a strong girl takes charge of her own destiny. And for you to take charge of your own destiny, you have to speak up. And who allows you to speak up these days? More and more people oh. try to shut down your voice. It's, Anything you say, you know. Let's start with parents for children and then let's, let's move to somebody in a workplace. You know, your children, it's funny because we used to joke a lot, Laird, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to squish the girl's spirits, you know, and then they turn 10 or so in a, or eight and you're like, oh, I wish I squished their spirits a little more. Because <laughs> like, you know, they had, they're all telling you how they feel, right? But But differently, like, I mean, obviously, there are different types of people. Um, you know, Reese had to actually learn to kind of really 
stand up for herself in a different way. Even and though. isn't it interesting because physically she is the dominant one. Powerful. She's powerful, powerful physically. So you see how one thing doesn't necessarily inform right. the and, other. And I can say that as a parent. And if I, I could say to any parent, if you have a child that you know will keep other people's secrets, you have to be very careful about that. Because I have, you know, daughters that won't. And it's an interesting... A symbiotic relationship between somebody who is a predator, they know who the people are that will keep their secrets. And, um, and so I think that's really, really important because as parents, we think we put them in protective environments and they're going to be okay. And we know these traits about our children. And I think it's really important to teach them different skill sets um, because sometimes that gets rolled into, oh, I'm loyal you know, I'm a good friend. It's like, yes, but at your own detriment sometimes. It starts there a lot of times and then it can actually turn into something much heavier later. I just want to, you know, sort of remind people that, um, you know, also standing up for yourself is not an act of disloyalty to somebody else, you know, and, and that's really, really important. And to teach your children, yeah, you can, you can keep people's secrets, but if it's something that's at your cost, that you have to be careful with that. So, we were talking about like if they're at school or whatever, hey, I don't, I don't like that. What if someone's like, oh yeah, you know, what are you going to do about it or, you, or whatever, we're going to keep playing this game or whatever. What, how, what does a young person do then? Well, the scenarios usually start when you stand up for yourself verbally, you're in an interaction with somebody. So the minute that you set your boundary, that person has the choice of setting back or continuing, which is going to lead to a physical interaction. So with kids in school for bullying, one scenario that happens a lot is one pushing the other. Right. And you can use your voice first, make eye contact. The kid is going to say, and we do all those drills, but we do it in a game, gamification style. And you're going to learn if they're pushing you what to do, how to get out of the push, Mm -hmm. how to take them down. And that's if, if he has to get to that point then it's okay. The reality is 90% of the cases, if you're really being assertive with your voice and you're making eye contact, they're going to back up because they're not looking for that kind of friction. They're not looking for that kind of resistance. No, they're looking for a chase. They're looking for easy, something easy. They're looking for, they're they're testing their boundaries. They're trying to be the dominant one. Mm -hmm. So suddenly if you rise up and you're not being aggressive with them, so they're not feeling like they have to defend themselves Mm -hmm. from you. You're just being assertive. You're saying, hey, this is my space then they're going to back up. And it's interesting, one of the moms, the girl was six, and the bullying that she was suffering was there was this boy in school that was following her to the bathroom, was sitting in her face, punching her in school, pushing her, pinning her against the wall, all those scenarios. And then she started training, she started learning. And then one day the mom gets a phone call from the principal in school saying, hey, what's happening with her? Because we saw her training a boy, Santi, who also suffered bullying. She was like, Santi, push me, push me. And he was like, what? She pushed me, pushed me. This is what you do. Get out. Don't touch me. I don't like this game. So suddenly now she's so confident Mm. in her ability to defend herself that she's not only standing up for, for her friends, but she is spreading the knowledge. And she's now teaching the boy how to defend himself. Yeah. And then now you have a ripple effect where kids are starting to realize, oh, that is not okay. And I can... I don't have to take it. I don't have to take it. I don't have to take it. So I I think that obviously if someone's listening to this, to go and take a jujitsu class and start to explore 
just like you said, these simple tools, because the hope is learn them so you never need them. Now, what if you're in a workplace and, um, you know, it's again, that's very subtle, right? It's like the the boundary gets pushed in and in and in. And I think a lot of times, especially as a woman, we think, oh, someone will make a comment. And by the way, it's not isolated to women. Maybe it's the other way around too. Mm -hmm. And I actually think it's harder when a man is objectified because we're, they, they're taught you just take it. Like at some point we're also taught it's okay, really in the end for a woman to be like, that's not comfortable. Where guys, can you imagine? Yeah. They just have to take it. I mean, in the training. So let's say you're in work and somebody makes an inappropriate comment. It starts there usually because they'll see. Mm -hmm. And like you stated earlier, it could be five years of it. And you think, okay, if I just ignore this, it's all going to go away. I think that's what happens. We think, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll ride this out. Instead, let's say somebody says something that, even if it's subtle, it's not even that big of a deal. What do you do? The thing in the workplace is because you're seeing that person so often, Mm -hmm. then they start thinking that their remarks or their comments or their jokes somehow are going to lead into a friendship. I don't think that everyone means bad all the time. Right. And I do agree. I think that men need training and I think that men are confused nowadays as well. I think that boys need jujitsu. I agree with all of that. The reason why I work with girls and women is because I based off of the statistics mm -hmm. of the amount of harassment that women suffer and the number of rape. One in five women still suffer complete or attempted rape in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. One in three are between 11 and 16 years old. I could have been one of those statistics. When I was living in London, I was working at a restaurant and one day I was, I was cleaning the restaurant, I was closing down the shift and we left at 1.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Everyone was already gone. It was me and this manager that was always weird. And as I'm leaving like the staff room, he kind of blocks the door. And I, re I realized, whoa, this is a bad situation. This is not like an amicable, joking, mm -hmm. is, because I also let a lot of comments that he made in the past about my body. We worked in dresses in this place. Like I just let it slide. I was young and living in Europe, like whatever. Yeah. So when I say that I'm developing the tools constantly, I mean it. But at that stage, I knew this is the moment that I have to cut a boundary right away. And the sooner you set the boundary, the better. Mm -hmm. I ended up using jujitsu. I got out of that situation. That guy was arrested later for raping two girls yeah. at the workplace. So what is the difference? Like, I would be a different woman sitting here with, with you today if I didn't have that set of tools. Mm -hmm. And I think that with the scenario that we have right now in the martial arts industry, I think that men have plenty of places to go and train and boys have plenty of gyms to go and train. I don't think that women get the same attention. Mm -hmm. I don't think that women get an environment that they are allowed to speak up, that they are being handed the tools that are necessary for them because the scenarios that we go through are different in life and the programming that we have in society is different. Mm -hmm. It is expected that women will take on certain roles that will, will be hit on and like, what yeah. is the line yeah. between being educated and showing interest or totally crossing the line and being disrespectful. And then you get in the workplace and it's the same. Women are like, oh, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. I worked too hard to get here. Like, whatever. But that creates anxiety. That impacts your productivity. Yeah. And then the guy comes, walks, now he's massaging your arm. Oh, how was your weekend? Are you feel a little tense? What's happening? And now, like, this guy kind of has his hands on you and you're like, <clears throat> like, frozen. And you're like, what do I do? What do I do? Do I say something? And then you're like, oh. And you're so uncomfortable. Instead of saying, hey, excuse me, when you put your hands on my shoulder, you make me feel uncomfortable. Get out. Right away. Or, you know, 
the sooner you set the boundaries, the better. And I'm not saying jujitsu is the only solution. I just, I would like to encourage women to go and find tools for them that will build that confidence for them to speak up, for them to just create a space for them to navigate so they can live happier and better lives. So then suddenly you are not building that up for something that you worked so hard and then you give up on it because it became so uncomfortable and now you're having panic attacks before you go into that situation and you feel like you don't have an option. So go out and seek for training or education, whatever you feel it's recommended for you. Yeah. I would always say jujitsu. I know I'm biased, but it's the world that I've lived in and I see how effective it is. But go find those tools so you are in control of your own life. So you're not letting these people dictate how you feel at the workplace and et cetera. And the reality is it is only uncomfortable to set up boundaries when you don't feel physically and emotionally capable of doing so. So go do whatever it is that you need to do to feel capable because it shouldn't be stressful. It should... It should be right in your comfort house to say, hey, excuse me, this is how it makes me feel. And the thing is, a lot of times when we're talking about the interaction between men and women, and when I say the men are confused, is I don't think that all the time that men means to, he, he doesn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. Right. Maybe it's the way that he behaves. It's the way that he was taught. It's the way that he grew up. And for him, if he's sitting on a meeting and he places his hand on your thigh to catch your attention, like, oh, hey, check this out. Sometimes... He's not like, oh, I'm going to grab her thigh, but you freeze. You're like, I can't believe this guy has his hand on my leg. And you're not going to say anything. You're going to leave and then you get to your car and then you don't sleep because the whole night you're like, oh my God, I'm going to see that guy tomorrow Tomorrow. because tomorrow's Mm going to get worse. Tomorrow he's going to hug you. Tomorrow maybe he's doing that little massage on your shoulders when you're at your desk and you Mm -hmm. didn't want to. And then it becomes harder and harder for you to say something. And then one day you're working late and you're in the copy room and you're leaving and now he's there. Maybe he invite, maybe you're put on a, to work on a project together. Yeah. And now suddenly you're seeing this person and you're working with them for hours and you already have that anxiety that built up yeah. from that first opportunity that you had to set a boundary. As soon as he made a remark about what you were wearing or as soon as he placed his hand on your thigh and you didn't say anything and now you think it's too late. Yeah, and then right. you take that on. And then one day you'll explode. So if there's one suggestion that I can make is mm-hmm. cut it dry right away. Correct. Set a boundary right away. And the thing with this tool is when you tell them what they're doing and you state how it makes you feel Mm. and you state the desired outcome. You make them become aware of what they're causing on you. So, hey, when you place your hands on my shoulder, sometimes he doesn't even realize that's what he's doing. When you place your hands on my shoulder, you make me feel uncomfortable. Suddenly he realizes he's taking an action that is causing an emotion in you that he didn't intend to. I would like you to step to the side. And you can say that it was a smile on your face and you'll be like, oh my God, yeah, of course, sorry. Well, what's funny too is how we will... more so, I think, than men, put their comfort in front of ours. It's so interesting how we're like, oh, I'm not going to say anything. But it's like, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm gonna, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. So I think that that's another thing. <laughs> but I'm thing. uncomfortable because you're making me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's okay to be off- offend people a little bit. Let's say you go somewhere and someone goes, I mean, you're a beautiful woman, Sus. And someone goes, you look beautiful. Not at work. Like, you just, you look, you look great. That outfit looks beautiful. Whatever. Because now we're at a time where now poor, I do feel for men that they can't, now they can't say anything. And it isn't like, hey, you look beautiful. I want to take your clothes off. It's like, you look really, you look great. How do you deal with that? I think that we can see the tone behind. I don't really feel that a man that looks at you and says, hey, you look beautiful and he really means it. I don't feel like it affects women 
or rubs them off in the wrong way. But I feel like we're going to a place, and I totally understand mm-hmm. the, the overcorrection, but simultaneously, we've also put a lot of good men, people, humans. I mean, maybe it'll settle and, and I, I understand it, but I do find that interesting. You know, I can see even my male friends and if I like they've been training or they, I could see that they've, you know, they've been trying to be healthy. I'd be like, wow, you look great. You know, I don't mean like, hey, I want to get in your pants. It's just yeah. like, hey, you look great. I mean, you have a brother, you have a lot, your cousins, you have a lot of very high quality men who are protective of all people, especially women. And I just wonder sometimes if we also could, it's funny how the subtlety of that, right? We're allowing a little still space for, for that, those kinds of interactions. I don't know. It's- yeah, I think that ultimately the only thing that we're in control is ourselves. Yeah. So it's going back into how do I feel? And it's okay if you enjoy the compliment and yeah. you can thank them. I think that the more comfortable and confident, the more self-confidence you have, the less you also project onto the other person. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, yeah. because you're so scared that anything they say yeah. will make you feel insecure or uncomfortable. And the more confident you are, the more present you are and the more you can connect and really see the intention mm. behind what is being said or what is happening. The less you take that on with you, the more it's like, and when you have the the internal feeling like I can thank him because if this conversation if this conversation continues and if it somehow leads into a place that now suddenly it's going too far then I can stop there I know where and that's the beauty mm-hmm. because when you are comfortable in setting boundaries actually society becomes more respectful because I have control of myself. So I can leave my house and go search for tools and work on tools that will make me feel more confident, that will allow me to have more interactions and to maybe go deeper into them because I'm not afraid that they'll get into a place that now it's too far for me to do anything. So then anything you say is already a problem and stop it and you're making me feel uncomfortable because it's not the fact that you just said that I'm beautiful is my fear of what's next. It's going to go out of control. What are you going to say next? Now you're going to grab me when I don't want it. So you know how we always Mm -hmm. say that we suffer a lot more in our imagination than in real life? Oh, yeah. You don't have to fear what's next because whatever comes next, you're prepared for it. And if you feel like you want to continue that conversation, great. You can peel one more layer of that. Yeah. And then if you still feel like, oh, I actually enjoy this human. Let's talk yeah. a little bit more. Fine. And then maybe it will get to a point that they'll be like, oh, okay, I'll walk you to your car. And if you're not comfortable with that, you can say, it was great to meet you. Let's exchange numbers. Yeah. Let's meet tomorrow for lunch. Maybe you'd rather be with this person the during day. the day and you don't want them walking you into the parking lot. So you need confidence to navigate those situations without sometimes losing an opportunity of meeting someone or- Oh, an opportunity, it says, an opportunity to meet somebody. <laughs> Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. You are sort of single, I think. I don't know. I think you have maybe opportunities, but I think you're pretty single at the moment. And like I said, you're a very beautiful woman who's warm and kind and um, very strong. And so I'm wondering what it's like for you to navigate that balance of the guard up, the guard down. Mm. Because I think a lot of women experience that, right? Like maybe they're in the workforce and they're like, rah, and then they're they're in a different environment and they're in a personal. How has that been for you to learn how to switch those gears and to, if you are drawn to somebody and attracted to them, to allow them to move in a little closer without being afraid for their lives? (laughs) It's interesting because I feel that 
the more self-confidence I develop, mm-hmm. the more feminine I become. Because now suddenly I don't need to build that wall mm-hmm. anymore. And I can be more welcoming. And I don't have to show you how strong I am right off the get-go. Mm-hmm. Because if the opportunity comes up where I have to show my strength, then we'll get there. But I can be more welcoming and more loving in my presence because I am so confident that I'm in control of my space. It's interesting because I grew up in a family where men are very strong, but they treat the women like princes. Like talking about Hoyce, I go to his house and he's the one cooking lunch and are you hungry? I'll make you an acai bowl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is doesn't even let me do the dishes. Is like the total gentleman yes. and extremely protective and I have two older brothers and can so, you receive that even though you can protect yourself can you receive do you enjoy the protection of all of the men? I enjoy the protection of the men that I know that can actually protect me <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny when they try to take that role and it's like yeah. oh you're a tech entrepreneur maybe I'm <laughs> the one protecting us in this case <laughs> but thanks for trying you yeah. know but it's, but it's true. Like when I go into a restaurant and these are the things that I learned. So like, how is my mindset? If we're going to sit on a table and I'm with a man that I feel he's more capable of defending us, oh, he gets I don't mind taking the this. Wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind. But if I'm with an attack entrepreneur, we're going to switch seats. I'm going to be watching the door because by the time you realize something is wrong, it's too late. <laughs> and I mean, hopefully that will never happen, but it's, it's my program and it's natural. Like I'm not even thinking about that, mm-hmm. but I'm really like, oh, I would, I would rather sit there and you know, let's switch. And like, he, he's totally oblivious, has no idea why I like that seat, <laughs> See, which I'm, is another reason why I'm he totally shouldn't be trained. <laughs> I'm totally trained. Laird will never have his back to the door. I'm trained. Like I'll go in, even if I'm first, I sit with my back to the door <laughs> and I'm like, there's your seat, you know, like, yeah. But it's, it's, an, it's an interesting place to navigate because I grew up with really strong men that were extremely loving mm-hmm. and caring. And I feel that the biggest challenge for me is at the moment, which is I'm single for the first time in my life, yeah. is to meet someone that I actually admire because I grew up with alpha males that are high achievers and that I have an extreme admiration for me. They're the my idols and my heroes are in my family. But I think it's in knowing some of them. It isn't because that they're so good at jujitsu. It's because they do have that balance, and they're, because they live by that code yes. that you were talking and about. And so I think it's really important to to highlight that idea, which isn't like, oh, they're all so badass. Yes, they are. But the badassness comes with the balance of the kindness and the service to the friends and the family. We think tough is one thing, but tough is is a really full picture. I'm interested to see who you're um, who you're going to be with. It'll be interesting because you, maybe after this podcast <laughs> I'll be getting some messages. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I uh, I know that you're an entrepreneur and you're uh, going to take your curriculum specifically for for, for girls and for women on a bigger platform. And, you know, it's funny when people are really good at things and they are successful and they can sort of just, if they try, it sort of happens. And you've been on the path of being an entrepreneur. And we've talked a lot about that. I think for all people who are on a quest to take something that they really believe in and share that, that it takes patience and it takes also, you, you know, you have sort of the right teammate and Hui, like helping you with the things that maybe aren't in your wheelhouse. 
And so I think it's important because someone sees you and they go, oh, she's very confident and capable, but you have your own things that you're pursuing that don't maybe happen as quick as you want. Um, and I, but that is how it happens. How has that, that been? You have been a great mentor for sure in this process for me. And you mean I just talk about patience? What a great mentor. <laughs> no, you have plenty of experience and I've learned a lot from you. Thank you very much. But what are you, what are you, how are you readjusting? Because there's a part of you that's impatient, us. Like you're like, let's go, let's go, let's yes. go in or out, in or out, let's go. So what is it that you've been learning in this process? Because I have no doubt you'll be successful. I believe in, in what you're doing. It's just, it's always about finding that right, those right partners, that right thing. What have you adjusted within yourself to go through this process of, of being an entrepreneur and creating this business? Well, patience is definitely still under development. It's interesting because when you have something that you've proven the concept and that you know in your heart, you find that thing and you're like, it's almost like the train now is ready to take off and you have that vision and when someone is as passionate as I am about something, being patient and understanding that things happen in their own timing and that you have to take the steps just like anybody else mm. has been, I think, the greatest lesson. And I've always seen other people talking about, oh, you, you make assumptions that this person's journey was easy because they're the daughter of this guy. And and now I see from the other lens on how someone would think like, oh, it's easy for her to work with jujitsu. She was born into the family and she can create anything she wants. But once you take something and you actually want to scale and sort of take it to a next level, then people want to know how are you going to monetize this? Yeah. And not only that, but <laughs> it's, it's, like... it's even internally for you, mm. it is scary. So I feel like in this whole journey, it, it's been a process of understanding that every time you create something, it is scary and it's okay. And you're going to find people along the way that supports your journey, that complements the skills that you don't have and that you're going to learn and that you're going to have to pivot a million times. But it's understanding that it's not about having an easy or a hard journey. It's understanding that the journey is the destination and it's what matters because every step of this journey counts and there's not a final product. The product is if I look back to where I started this, then I'm far enough. But if I look into where I would like to be, oh my God, I'm not even near there. And then I'm impatient because I can see how this amazing business is going to impact and help so many women in the world. But as you're building it and you're scaling it, there is a process to that and you cannot go from one to 100. No. And that's a lesson, right? But it's been the greatest teaching of my life and the greatest opportunity to apply the principles and the skills that I talk about so much because when it's in your own personal journey mm -hmm. then suddenly you want things to happen faster and you want to be in control of everything and things are not magical but it's also almost like a test of life on how bad do you want this and I feel that every entrepreneur or any athlete every single person that puts something on themselves and says this is what I want to achieve they go through this question many times through different circumstances and life will throw spontaneous challenges at you. But ultimately, I think is how bad do you want it and what are you willing to do and work for it? And every day and every challenge that comes, I ask myself this question, well, how bad do I want it? It's easy to walk away from things. I think most people, they try a little bit and then they walk away. And when you know why you're doing this for, 
then nothing else matters. And I think what's so beautiful about this idea of jujitsu and even in business and, and in life, it's adapting. You know, if we, if we brought in the best movement specialist or nutritionist, the nutritionist would say, we want you to be metabolically flexible. The trainer would, we'd say, we want you to be able to be strong and fast, but go for a long time. We'd want you to be able to adapt. And it's the same thing when you're in jujitsu. And if you put a move on me that I wasn't expecting, now I've got to adapt. Right. And it's the same thing in business where you think it's going to happen this way and you realize like, oh no, we're going to, we're going to adapt. It doesn't mean we're going to compromise what we're ultimately trying to do or the value of that, but it means that we're going to continue to pay attention and we're going to understand what's happening and we're going to, we're going to keep adjusting to reach that end goal. So I, it's been really interesting and I appreciate you allowing me to, you know, witness you going through this because I think when someone sees someone like you, they go, well, that's all figured out and that's easy. And I think it's important to share that everybody is on a journey of discovery and growth that is always a little uncomfortable. And um, and that's where when someone's good at jujitsu, it's because they were put in all of those positions. And I really think it's the same thing. So I, um, I really appreciate you. If you wanted to remind just someone, let's say they're intimidated to get started themselves personally, I think grown women especially would be more intimidating. Um, or if a dad has a daughter, they could take them to maybe to just go to a class, see what happens. Yeah. Do you have to have a gi every first time you go to a class? My first classes, nobody wears a gi. I think it's too much information. Just come in as you want, be comfortable. It's an intro class. Cecilina's gis are pink, by the way. <laughs> Just had to say that. <laughs> hot it's pink. really hot pink. <laughs> yeah. They're awesome. So I think it's pe- not having barriers. Like you don't have to have a gi and show up and know what you're doing. It's. Like, I think the most important thing is research the academy first. Right. Just check it who out. Who is the instructor? Where did he come from? Mm-hmm. What is his lineage? Just Google, just try to find maybe an interview yeah. or a video of them teaching. Feel free to go to a place and just watch a class Observe. instead of participating. Mm. You yeah. have that right. Create that space for yourself. Hi, I just want to watch today. And you can see from the outside, you don't have to throw yourself on the mats right away. I just want to sit and watch the class. Yeah. And then if you choose so next time, get involved. But the closer you are to the source, like if there is a Gracie Academy next mm-hmm. to you, I would be more comfortable recommending, obviously. But if they're not, just research that instructor. There are a lot of amazing people teaching. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we would have never gotten to where we are. And it's the same in the entrepreneurial journey. It's like, look for mentors. Yeah, big time. And people want to help. So Sess, if people want to find you, can you, you, um, and I'm not talking about using this as a dating service. (laughs) If people want to find you, I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah, but you became my Cupid. I was never in those like dating apps. I think this is it. (laughs) You're a grown up. You're a grown up. You can do what you want. What are all the places people can find you? I'm mainly on Instagram. I'm mm-hmm. not like the biggest social yeah. media user. Great. Uh, it's, it's an effort for me, but Cecilina Gracie. And soon, soon we're launching, we're launching our website and our physical dojo is coming up. My company is called Manami. So keep an eye out because hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be up and running. Thanks, Cess. Thank you, Gabby. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.